contest. <laughs> welcome in. Welcome back to Revolutionary Roulette. I'm Rob Zielinski, and you can find me on Twitter at Rob Zielinski. That's Z-I-E-L-I-N-S-K-I. Or follow me on Instagram at ZobF37. Or follow the brand new Instagram page on Instagram at Revolutionary Roulette. Or if you want to get in contact with us, email us at RevolutionaryRoulette at gmail.com. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Joshua Callow. Uh, good evening, folks. Um, you can find me on Facebook at Joshua Patrick. Um, you can find me also at Joshua Patrick on Instagram. And you can find me on Twitter at Joshua Catlow, and where I'm usually having arguments in regards to how... Uh, the Bears are going to go 16 and 0 or 17 and 0, and all <laughs> yeah, those type of bad takes. Yes. So, um, that's where you can find me, folks. Okay. Welcome so, in. um, I hope there are some uh Huey Lewis and the News fans out there because we're going back in time. <laughs> Gotta go back in time. Back in time, and this time, uh, it's to Virginia in 1676, so back to the 1600s, and we're going to start things off with Bacon's Rebellion, um, and here's a, a Josh joke that I thought of, and no, that's not when you eat way too much bacon on a Sunday morning, and you're on the john all afternoon. Did somebody say bacon? <laughs> I definitely smell a pork product of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm going to keep teasing this until we actually get our first damn uh, patron. So go to patreon.com slash revolutionary roulette, become one of our newest patrons at any level. And I will give you access to my bit about Jerry Seinfeld talking about bacon and coffee. Um, bacon! <laughs> this week had me uh, recollecting, if you will about an old friend of mine who, uh, TD. Uh, TD used to give me shit for being one of the few peoples in the world that doesn't have the name Mohammed, that doesn't enjoy bacon particularly. <laughs> and I always used to say, my hot take was, uh, man, I think turkey bacon's way better than regular bacon. And he always used to either call me some kind of derogatory uh, <laughs> uh, term rhyming with uh, Labussy. Um, <laughs> so, As well he should have. Yeah, so uh, rest in peace, TD. I was thinking about you all damn week because of uh, our bacon back and forth. So uh, there you go. We're not talking about that, but we are talking about Nathaniel Bacon Rebellion, but we'll get into that as the post takes us there. So that's right. So uh, Nathaniel Bacon was a white frontiersman originally from across the pond in Suffolk. Uh, he led a rebellion made of other white colonists who were joined by black and white servants and black slaves. So Bacon led this multiracial rebellion against colonial governor William Berkeley. The rebels were burning Jamestown to the fucking ground, and Berkeley felt so threatened by the rebels that he actually fled the capital. Um, England felt compelled to try to maintain order among the 40,000 colonists in Virginia, so they sent 1,000 soldiers across the Atlantic to try to quell the uprising. Um. Throughout our discussion for the first three or four weeks of the show, you've probably wondered, uh, and we've delved into a little bit as well. Why haven't um, why haven't the black folks and the indentured servants combined forces, or um, even white folks and the American Indians, or? Whatever combination of the three um, mm -hmm. you wanted to think about, why haven't they tried to overrun the government with a huge push instead of just uh, slacking on their 
um, worker stalling tactics to not bring in as much effort for their slave owners and things like that. And you've probably been wondering, maybe that could be a way to um, combat what was going on. And uh, this is where we finally get to some of those efforts. So I'm going to build in, in, in larger portion, that is. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to build off that. And the reason uh, Bacon's Rebellion started was because some white people were ignored when land grants were being given away because uh, they were being given to the rich or politically connected whites. Uh, and the reason why that is a huge issue is because during the time of the rebellion, for you to be able to vote, um, you had to be, um, well, you had to be many things, but one of which uh, you couldn't vote if you didn't own land. And if you were getting passed up or looked over for owning property, then you were getting fucked when it comes to the ballot, kind of like we all do uh, each and every day to nowadays. But and, uh, uh, that's a story for another time. <laughs> the, it, it actually it also meant um, that these ignored white Virginians had to seek land to the West besides the no vi uh, voting rights. But of course, Indians occupy the Western frontier. So they're being forced West into threatening Indian territory. But the aristocrats who have now monopolized the land in the East are like, that's not a me problem. <laughs> that's a you problem. So uh just, just not my problem. Yeah, so in this particular instance, um, white folks and certain slaves that tried to escape um, were getting hounded, if you will, coming from both the East and the West um, and going, going laterally and um, horizontally. Uh, it didn't help either. As we all know, North versus South is even worse. So uh, <laughs> there were certain people that were fucked no matter which way they were trying to escape their mm -hmm. oppression. So uh, not only that, um, but Governor Fuckface Berkeley, and we're going to be calling him that a lot, or I might even shorten it to like GFB and you're going to know who I'm talking about. So uh, he was actually bribing Indians to be his allies or even be spies for him to work against the white frontiersmen. And this was a cunning move because the benefits were twofold. So it helped to divide the Indians using the old divide and conquer tactic to try to at least, you know, try to control the, the Indians a, a, a little bit. But it also meant that the white frontiersmen settlements would act as a buffer between these Jamestown bros and the Indians. It was um, the when when they first GFB reached out to <laughs> um, the American Indians at first, their natural instinct was like, "Man, I smell white man on this. <laughs> Something ain't right." <laughs> Some may write. So most of them didn't believe it, but there were a large enough group that did fall in the line and think that this could be beneficial for us, our tribe, our people. And uh, of course, that's not the case because hmm, the white men. <laughs> and as you know, on this show, we pander towards black people just because <laughs> we have nothing better to do. And right. that it yeah. wasn't uh, called for and in, in history, uh, how it actually happened. Yeah, uh, you're of course referring to some of the, the comments we've been getting, so uh, we digress. Uh, of course, there was violence on the frontier before Bacon's Rebellion, but it was the violence between white frontiersmen and the Doeg Indians. Uh, the colonizers owed a debt to the Indians and weren't paying up, so the Doegs took some hogs to try to square things up. And the whites were like, nah, fuck that, and went and got their hogs back, but murdered two Indians in the process. Then the Doegs were like, nah, double fuck that, <laughs> and they sent a war party to kill a specific herdsman as payback, and the whites were like, you know what? 
triple fuck that. And they uh, had a fucking white militia company uh, go out there and uh, killed 24 Indians. Um, it's all good stuff. Yeah, it's it, there, there's really nothing to, to be added to exactly what you said there that um, wasn't already said. So, um, so we can I can move on here quick so we don't. Uh, this this hour goes by so damn fast. It's not even fucking funny. It is. It, so it, it is. The receipts of the week come from uh, a man named Wilkem Washburn because of fucking course his name was Wilkem Washburn, and uh, he did a extensive study of Bacon's Rebellion using British colonial records uh, and from Governor Fuckface Berkeley himself in regards to. A rough 1676, uh, Washburn wrote, There was genuine distress, genuine poverty. All contemporary sources seek of the great mass of people as living in severe economic straits. Um, and, you know, an, an aging, uh, north of 70 years old Governor Fuckface, he wrote, How miserable that man is that governs a people where six parts of seven at least are poor, indebted, discontented, and armed. And his that phrase, six parts of seven, that GFB uses, gives us some insight that an upper class already exists in the 1670s. And in fact, uh, Nathaniel Bacon be, came from this upper class himself as he owned a good chunk of land and probably didn't care uh, all that much about poverty stricken people, but cared more about killing Indians. Yeah. As we learned um, in prior weeks, notes that are written over to the uh, British people are always taken out of context as um with Columbus and some of his uh, financiers uh, when he was writing letters of grandeur about the abundance of gold. Um, this is kind of along those sim similar lines where um, everything's uh, well and good when in fact uh, it's, it's not quite there. So um, that's right. And um, we'll touch a little bit more, on that about how this was like a sort of uh you know the americas were thought of um as a sort of utopia back in in europe um but we're we're gonna hear from a special guest uh, about that there was uh in just in regards to the uh six of seven mm -hmm. um theory it's there's so many different times throughout the course of this book that I'm going to repeat myself and the same with Rob, but that's just how history laid down. Um, mm -hmm. And in this particular case, it has the same thing to do with the 1% of today um, who has an abundance of the wealth, uh, or excuse me, uh, the abundance of wealth where the bottom 99% are just trying to survive. But in yeah. this particular case, um, the colonies weren't as populated today, obviously. And um, the numbers of which people are that were struggling to get by or sleeping in back of taverns or on the side and in, in tents and things like that just to get by are, yeah in large abundance. So um, some things never change when it comes to the fact that the rich get richer and the poor struggle just to make ends meet. And that's been uh, 400 plus years and going strong. Yeah. Going real strong. So that's, that's part of, you know, what we're doing here, right. Is, you know, trying to uh, just change it a little bit. Um, otherwise we're not going to have a, a world to, to live in. Um, so, but, but Bacon, uh, I'm just going to read from the book here quickly, became a symbol of 
mass resentment against the Virginia establishment and was elected in the spring of 1676 to the House of Burgesses. When he insisted on organizing armed detachments to fight the Indians outside official control, Berkeley proclaimed him a rebel and had him captured, whereupon 2,000 Virginians marched into Jamestown to support him. Berkeley let Bacon go in return for an apology, but Bacon went off, gathered his militia, and began raiding the Indians. And with your permission, I want to kill some Indians. That's exactly what it was. And his particular grief was with the American Indian. Um, It wasn't pandering towards that so much of, hey, let's try and help clear up some of this poverty uh, that we have going on with the lack of corn from the crop that didn't come in and the majority of tobacco sales being from that 1% or around 40 or so people that owned that 1% at that particular time. Right. Um, And usually when it comes to exports, you set your rate at which you're purchasing because, well, you're exporting it. Um, Obviously, it has to be agreeable because there takes two to tango when it comes to making sales. But because there was only a few people purchased, excuse me, I think it was a single party purchasing the the tobacco coming from this region Mm -hmm. that they were the one dictating the terms. It was the price of tobacco is A and that's all you're getting. So they weren't making much for what they were doing. And if your crop doesn't come in, plus they're dictating the amount of money in which you get for your exports, um, damn near everybody's going to be struggling at that point. Right. So you kind of uh, touched on this. Uh, Bacon isn't even a good person himself. Uh, he seems like he's just this spoiled brat throwing a hissy fit and is like, fine. hates American Indians. Yeah, fine. It's just like me and my other Indian bloodthirsty friends uh, will go kill them ourselves then, mm-hmm. which he did. And uh, his his militia attacked and killed eight of the friendly Pamunkey Indians, uh, took others as prisoners, and just stole their shit. So like, he's also a, <laughs> he's also a piece of shit too. It's um, you said it, you know, pretty eloquently. Where it's like, yeah, he really wasn't trying to be a, a good guy and help uh, uplift people in poverty. He just wanted to kill Indians probably because they were encroaching on his land or were just too close to his land. Um, and he felt threatened. Yeah. It's uh, it's just one of them things where he like nowadays, once again, the correlations are endless. Uh, mm-hmm. Didn't have p- the people's best interest at heart. Uh, so, Bacon sucks. Um, the guy, not the. I told you. <laughs> and uh, Governor Fuckface sucks. And it's actually known, thanks to previously mentioned historian Washburn, that the rank and file soldiers of both armies deserted en masse. So then Bacon goes and he gets sick and dies at the age of 29. And of course, the Berkeley bros are ecstatic and talk mad shit about him. And figuratively dance on his grave. The Berkeley brothers uh, did that about a lot of people, um, especially (laughs) the indentured servants as well. Um, When it came across that many of which were uh, committing suicide to get out of their obligations um, to the plantation and their um, owners and masters, uh, they were offing themselves just to get out of that. So, and they made jokes on their behalf as well, as long as, excuse me, right along with how they made fun of Nathaniel Bacon. And uh, I'm sure, God, I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. I'm sure (laughs) you have the quote with you about what the priest said about Nathaniel Bacon's death. Do you? Um, I have it right here. Bacon is dead. I am sorry at my heart that lice and flux should hang, should take the hangman's part. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. It's like, uh, 
I'm sorry at heart that the lice and hangman, it's like, oh, you're some kind of poet now, huh? Um, <laughs> and this is what, once again, one of God's chosen people here um, with the kindest of words. I get it. He wasn't the greatest of human beings and um, did a lot of things for himself. But uh, again, rejoicing at somebody's demise is probably not the best way through the course of history. Right. So um, I actually didn't have that in the actual outline here. I just oh, you just happened to be on the page, happened to be on the page. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, that worked out nicely. But I, I'm trying to stay away from the religious aspects of of this. We're going to because we're going to get into it more later on, what is a little bit more prevalent. Um, but we just, I'll, I'll just throw a quickly the disclaimer out there. We don't have anything to, uh, against Rob or myself personally against your beliefs, uh, systems, your, your faith in, uh, whatever God you so choose to serve. Um, it's the organized religions and the things in the name of Christianity and others that are what we have and take issue with, um, whatever God you serve. We respect that. Uh, using that for an excuse to start wars across to hundreds of years, that part, not so much. <laughs> That's right. So when the uh, since the head of the rebel snake just got sick and fell off, uh, morale was low and the rebellion was put down soon after Bacon's death. Um, I'm going to let Zinn take over for a minute here. All right. Uh, but just know that when he says garrison, um, a, a garrison is uh, the collective term for anybody or any body of troops stationed in a particular location originally to guard it. A ship armed with 30 guns cruising the York River became the base for securing order. And its captain, Thomas Grantham, used force and deception to disarm the last rebel forces. Coming upon the chief garrison of the rebellion... He found 400 armed Englishmen and Negroes, a mixture of free men, servants, and slaves. He promised to pardon everyone, to give freedom to slaves and servants, whereupon they surrendered their arms and dispersed, except for 80 Negroes and 20 English who insisted on keeping their arms. Grantham promised to take them to a garrison down the river, but when they got into the boat, he trained his big guns on them, disarmed them, and eventually delivered the slaves and servants to their masters. The remaining garrisons were overcome one by one. 23 rebel leaders were hanged. Yeah. Um, in the promises he produced uh, in, yeah, come on, man. Just, uh, I'll bring you to your people. Um, <laughs> once again, uh, were made with ill intent. Um, and it met the demise of uh, a score of people that uh, otherwise wouldn't have. Um, so it was just a complete and utter clusterfuck of oppression in Virginia. So the Indians are getting robbed and killed by the poor front, uh, by the poor white frontiersmen. The poor whites were getting taxed and controlled by the Berkeley bro, Jamestown elites. And the elites were actually being exploited by England because of what you mentioned earlier. The English merchants were the only ones buying the tobacco they were exporting. And even the though the tobacco sales were really lucrative when they first got started back in 1617, uh, by now in the 1670s, the Englishmen were like, yeah, fuck this. We're the only ones buying this shit. So uh, they just started dictating the prices of the uh, colonists' tobacco. And outside of the money being brought in, it also served as a reason for everybody to distrust everybody. Blacks and American Indians weren't um, in each other's palms to for lack of a better term, um, blacks and whites didn't trust each other for obvious reasons. So once again, the triad of people in this 
experimentation going on right now. Nobody trusted nobody, and for good reason. Um, so we've talked about how 200 years of slavery as of last week, uh, where we were dipping our toes into, it's no wonder why the huge rebellion didn't start until um, the 18th century. That's right. No, so, nobody trusted anybody. Right. So while Bacon's rebellion had started in regards to Indian policy, the overwhelming support of the uprising was due to hopes of what is known as leveling, which seems to me it's like leveling the playing field, right? Or, or equalizing the wealth of the people. Leveling was the reason for innumerable, uh, innumerable incidents of poor whites clashing with the rich in all of the English colonies 100 to 150 years before the Revolutionary War. Yeah, so, so uh, I'm sorry. Um, go ahead. In, in a sense, um, the term leveling was just to try and, as Rob alluded to, level the playing fields, but they were speaking monetarily and of um, food, crop, and income, and that obviously never took place. All right. So to uh, segue a bit further into, into the level, uh, leveling subject matter, we note that besides the black slaves who joined the rebellion, the white indentured servants were eager to get in on the leveling mix. They were poor whites coming to North America from a country in Britain who didn't even want them there. Because of the development of capitalism in Britain in the 1500s and 1600s, it created a class of severely poverty-stricken people. And because the British elites didn't want these quote-unquote rogues and vagabonds loitering or panhandling or whatever the fuck, so they just, they passed, they passed more laws. It was illegal to be fucking poor. Um, so... <laughs> uh, I'm going to read a, a quick quote. Such persons found begging could be stripped to the waist and whipped bloody, could be sent out of the city, sent to workhouses, or transported out of the country. Illegal it, to be poor. And it sure fucking feels like it is in today's America, too. It reminds me of a friend of mine uh, who always used to quote Robin Hood. Um, not the men in tights one, but the actual Robin Hood. Uh, but where he's like, he just kept repeating over and over, no more beggars, no more beggars, no more beggars. And that's essentially what they're doing here. It's like, yes, get out of here. Get so because it was illegal to leave. be fucking poor now, these poor people were lured or forced into being indentured servants in America. Um, and as Zinn puts it, poor people wanting to go to America became commodities of profit for merchants, traders, ship captains, and eventually their masters in America. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, <sighs> <laughs> it's bad. Let me. I'll give you. I'll give you more to to chew on here. So again, they were basically forced into this servitude. The rich people were like, okay, we'll pay you for your passage if you just sign on the dotted line that says you'll be my slave for the next seven years. And I'm thinking, how does that even compute? Like, it's one fucking boat ride that lasts up to 12 weeks, and now you're enslaved for seven years? And it, it makes me think about class consciousness again, especially nowadays, these rich motherfuckers do not care what race you are. They will treat you like shit, no matter what, so long as you're making them money and making them more comfortable. Yeah, in this particular instance, when it was four to seven years to earn your freedom back for a 12-week boat ride in which you would be... Um, if you were... To put it in realistic terms, shoved in like sardines with a bunch of other people and most of the time ran out of food, ran out of rations, water, etc. 
um, dumping infants overboard because of which, so instead of starving, they would drown to death and put themselves out of their misery. And also a lot of adults did the same thing. So yeah. uh, this boat ride in which they had to sign up for seven years of slavery, just like you said, didn't compute to why am I giving away my life like this? But it's something that... Uh... Exactly. Just se seven years for a 12-week boat ride. Um, I, I understand that you're they're also like affording you the opportunity, but um, it just it still doesn't add up to me. And like you mentioned, these trips to America were no fucking carnival cruises either. So the, the ships were just vessels trying to get the goods, in this case, poor whites, to the port. They were, uh, like you mentioned, packed with people, like uncomfortably packed with sick, impoverished people. They smelled like shit and piss and vomit from all the seasickness, right? Uh, you can't just bring fresh produce on a voyage that takes eight to 12 weeks. So they're all eating this poor quality, highly salted meats, which is making them even more sick. The drinking water is fucking filthy. And uh, like you mentioned, if, if bad weather, uh, if there was bad weather, the trip took longer than expected. They would run out of food. Um, one particular ship called the sea flower left from Belfast in 1741 and took 16 fucking weeks to get to Boston. So that's what it hit an iceberg. <laughs> oh, that's that other ship from Belfast. <laughs> that other one. Uh, so that's four to eight weeks that they were without food. Um, there were 106 passengers and 46 of them died of starvation. And the survivors ate, literally consumed uh, and ate those that died. Six of them. Six, six. people. Yeah, six people were found gnawing on uh, one another like, uh, can I get some thigh meat? Um, <laughs> just whatever. You had to do what you had to do to stay alive at that yeah. point. Like you said, some people decided that it wasn't worth it and jumped and some people uh, reached out to cannibalistic tendencies just to make it across for however long it took. And yep. um, just imagine what you would do if you had to put yourself in those positions in which you were living in um, the shittiest of quarters. Um, yeah. And when I say that, I'm talking about actual um, feces, urine, death, and whatever kind of vile, disgusting things you can think of right. being in the bottom of those ships. So uh, a f just a few more quick examples and, and we can move on. But this is like a um, <laughs> kind of a another podcast does it where they call, they call it like a gold star moment because it's it's kind of it's hard to listen to. Um, so if you, you know, kind of feel triggered by some of these things, maybe uh, uh, skip a, skip ahead a bit. But um, on another ship, 32 children died of disease and hunger and uh, just thrown overboard, like you mentioned. On another ship, a woman was trying to give birth during a brutal storm on the open sea. She was having trouble delivering the baby in those conditions, and some fucking monsters aboard the boat just pushed her through one of the portholes into the sea. And then uh, just know that kids were kidnapped in the streets of English cities by the hundreds and shipped to Virginia to work. And in, in the book, Zinn says it like children were rounded up uh, by the hundreds. Um, but in this case, I think it's appropriate to say that they were fucking kidnapped. Um, that's yeah, like, it, you know, again, I hate to, you know, uh, bring it to more modern times or whatever, but it's like when you see a headline in <laughs> New York Times or something, it's like, uh, man, George Floyd um, allegedly dies from uh, loss of breath. Oxygen, and it's like, yeah. No, motherfucker, he was murdered. <laughs> Stop saying he was allegedly, you know, air, air supply was low. He was fucking murdered. Yes. These kids were kidnapped. Um, unlike the other ship I was mentioning that did strike the iceberg, uh, this wasn't a random gathering of women and children for the betterment to get them off and into safety. This was to uh, have them meet their demise. They were so narrow-minded that having 
women uh, procreate was looked upon as a bad thing um, because they would in turn not be able to produce for them. Um, this is, I never, Jesus Christ, I never thought I would speak as coming from uh, this perspective, but they were so narrow-minded <laughs> that they took people's pregnancy or women's pregnancy as a negative thing instead of as an opportunity to have even more people grow up to help serve. So they threw them <laughs> over the sides of the boats whenever possible and also made it illegal for um, American Indians and black folk, American Indian and white folk to procreate together. So right. um, uh, just real quick, during the journey, the ship is full of uh, pitiful, pitiful signs of distress, smells, fumes, horrors, vomiting, various kinds of seasickness, fevers, dysentery, headache, heart, uh, headache, heat, consumption, boils, scurvy, um, <laughs> cancer, and mouth rot, and uh, other similar wow. afflictions. So once again, that death boat was not something you wanted to take a trip on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... The, the mouth rot thing got me too. I was like, I don't even want to know what that is. I like, I once Googled thrush and I wish I never did that. So um, mouth rot just sounds brutal. So it, it turns out the poor white indentured servants were bought and sold like black slaves too. In fact, in an announcement in a March 28, 1771 uh, in the Virginia Gazette read, just arrived at Leedstown, the ship Justitia, with about 100 healthy servants, men, women, and boys. The sale will commence on Tuesday, the 2nd of April. It's like come one, come all. Get your yeah. wife. <laughs> it's like they forgot uh, 100 people, even though we started with 400 plus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> we kind of. Some got lost in the uh, the transport. Sorry about that, folks. Justicia. That's uh, <laughs> quite the proper name. It should have been Justicia uh, <laughs> on a better life and better opportunity for you right. on the other side of this here ocean. Uh, because done, you're, now you're really fucked. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we, we touched on this before where there was a sort of sense of utopia when America was being talked about, but immigrants were writing letters home, um, they told a, a bit of a different story. They were warning of the brutal conditions and that whoever's in Europe and is doing fine for themselves to stay the fuck there because it's nothing but distress and misery here. Look, we get it. The sun doesn't come out over there and people have <laughs> mouth rot and they just sit in taverns all day long. But it's way better than the Americas. Yeah. Take my word for it. This place is shitty. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, like, Mouth Rot sounds like a, a pretty good punk band name. That is not a bad name, right? right? <laughs> uh, we are Mouth Rot. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, it wasn't uncommon for servants to be whipped and beaten, of course. Uh, masters would beat the shit out of them and beat them over the head with canes. So uh, things were so bad in Maryland court records uh, il illustrated that many servants kill themselves. That's, uh, that's how bad it was. Yeah. We, and once again, that's just something that's going to be a repetitive thing throughout the course of history. Um, along the lines of religion, um, most people think of suicide in the negative terms, but have they ever put themselves in the position of people that have been uh, on a boat to be bought and sold or having to jump out of a burning building, i.e. 9-11? So once right. again, um, when Christianity puts their marks on different instances throughout the course of history, uh, you should probably do so with a knowing mind of what other people were going through at the time of making their decisions. That's right. So um, I want to jump back a little bit to something that you mentioned before uh, in regards to masters uh, trying to control the sex, uh, sex lives of their servants, um, obviously, especially of women servants. And um, 
as you mentioned, because being pregnant and having a baby would interfere with the cheap labor that they provided. So even Benjamin Franklin, old $100 bill face, Franklin Benjamin himself, uh, he, he wrote a yearly almanac under the pseudonym Poor Richard, in which he advised his elitist readers, quote, let thy maidservant be faithful, strong, and homely. Such a piece of shit. So get you an ugly, unfuckable maid so uh, she don't get pregnant and fuck up the who's going to do what chores rotation. The funny thing is, is that everybody that has put up um, fuss about trying to get uh, Harriet Tubman on the $10 or is it the $20? Bill? I think it was the 20 Excuse me, to replace uh, Andrew Jackson. There's not a single one of these motherfuckers that should be on the face of any of the money. They're all evil-hearted <laughs> pricks. And that's straight down the lines. From ones to Benjis, each and every one of them were <laughs> horrible, horrible human beings. Uh, the only, I guess you could say, um, saving grace of the uh, the group is Lincoln with he's excuse me, he had a change of heart. I'll make this real quick because it has nothing to do with this chapter. At least he <laughs> had a change of heart as to how he originally thought along the lines of consuming slaves um, much, much later towards right. the end of his life. Um, but some people never got there. So I'm not giving the guy a pat on the back for this, but I'm just saying at least he did eventually realize the ill and air of his way. Right. And this Sorry might be, that. no, that's all right. Because it actually, this might turn into like a sort of super tease. Um, eventually I would like to cover uh, books on reconstruction, more specifically uh, black reconstruction, the book written by W.E.B. Du Bois. Um, so no servants could get married without permission from the master. There were laws against servants getting married or fornicating, and they could be separated from their families and whipped by law for these offenses. And the servants were getting screwed at every angle, too, because, yes, there were colonial laws that existed to curb master excesses against the servants, but they weren't enforced, as we now know from historian Richard Morris, who studied the early court records that tell us only masters could serve on juries. No servant was allowed to be on a jury. So how fucking lopsided is that shit? Like it, <laughs> it's kind of like that's never changed either because nowadays you get to go along the line. It's like a pickup game of basketball where the defendant and the plaintiff, um, I'll take him. Mm-mm. Too, too crackerish. Uh, well, how about him? We have to have diversity. Not no blacks either. Um, so it, it it's not as bad because they do have to have diverse uh, juries in most trials. It's just it's like they get to sit there and oversee your character before they make a decision on who's going to sit on the jury instead of just trying to make it be a um, a fair decision for lack of better terminology there. I apologize. Right. Yeah. Not having like uh, you know, a jury of your peers. Those aren't your fucking peers. Those are your literal masters. Correct. Uh, so um, everything was just rigged from the start and we'll continue the chapter next week. Uh, when we continue to take a closer look at this developing and clear cut class system in America. Um, before we wrap up, we do have, we have a little bit of time here. And, um, one thing I wanted to mention is when I'm reading these quotes, um, sometimes they say words that are, um, still or, or, or are now offensive, um, like the word Negro, because of course we go by black Americans or African Americans. Um, and that's something else people need to learn. Not all African Americans want to be called African-American because they may be black. They may be from Cuba or, um, you know, one of the 
one of those uh, countries. So they're not actually African American. Um, so you do have to, you know, uh, be cognizant of that. And when I'm reading these quotes, I'm saying words like Negroes just for the sake of uh, being accurate, right? Um, if there are people out there who whether I not say that word, please let me know. Um, I can tell you now, um, I don't think there is in this book, but if we ever get to a point where um, the N word is quoted, um, I will not be saying that word. That is not my word. That is not our word. So, um, you know, fear not, we will not be saying the N word on the show, even if it's uh, a direct quote, it will be said as the N word. And um, I, not too long ago, I mean, it wasn't very recent, but I watched the video of some of my favorite comedians having a conversation and um, guys like Ricky Gervais are saying the N word. And um, <laughs> I hate to go back to Jerry Seinfeld here, but he's he, the only one. He's the only one who would not say it. And he, I learned from him, obviously Jerry Seinfeld isn't the greatest guy. He was dating an 18 year old when he was in his thirties. Um, but he, you had to have known that one. Ooh. No, I was like, what's wrong with that? I didn't, <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't know that is, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, um, at least, at least they were 18 and he wasn't, uh, doing the Woody Allen shuffle. I'll, but Right. Um, right. I'll have to, I'll have to double check that. I believe she was 18, but I, but I think she was still in high school. Like he was still picking her up at high school. He hit us up on Patreon and we could get into some more Jerry Seinfeld. That's what I'm saying. Is this thing on? <laughs> I'll tell you that Jerry Seinfeld story too when we get there. And that's a good one. Um, but yeah, again, Seinfeld was the only one who wouldn't say it. And he said, no, that's, that's not our word to say. Um, what's and, the deal with you guys saying the N word around me? <laughs> um, so yeah, just like, you know, it's, it's offensive to say, to just say Jews when talking about Jewish Americans, we should be saying Jewish Americans. Um, we shouldn't be saying, um, somebody is transgendered. Um, that sounds like something bad happened to them. They're just a transgender person. Um, so these are just things to be, um, cognizant of in your everyday conversations. Um, and you just, you, you might sound like a little bit less of an asshole. I mean, Josh is going to sound like a jag off anyway, but, um, I lose it, Larry. At, at, <laughs> but at least his, uh, you know, he'll be trying to be, um, a little more sensitive to, uh, the things people, um, the, the terms people should be called properly and to be, um, you know, sensitive to, to their thoughts and feelings. Yeah. It's uh, a person's identity as far as African-American or uh, white American, native American um, directly correlates to um, how, like you said, transgender people or the LGBTQ community um, would also like to refer. I'm not saying that or suggesting that we need to start a different type of group of pronouns for having discussions about your background. But however, you should be of mindfulness of that um, when speaking of it. Just because people are Black doesn't mean that they are automatically African-American. That's right. Um, so yeah, closing uh, the book for this week. Um, we're going to have to uh, do a two-part, and there's a slight chance, I highly doubt it, but there is a slight chance that we do the rest of Chapter 3 and finish Chapter 4. Um, I'll be pushing for that, folks. Yeah, I know you will be. I got your I back, Jack. <laughs> so uh, so we'll, we'll see how things go. Um, I, I'm kind of working like two or three different jobs right now. So uh, time is of the essence. Um, and uh, that's, yeah. that's about it. Do you have any closing thoughts before we, we wrap it up? Uh, I, I really do, but um, they don't have anything to do with the book in particular. So I'm going to keep them to myself. Um, but 
can I pose a question to the listeners while we're doing this um, before we get off the air? Yeah. Um, if you would like us to, this is a show that deals directly with the history of the United States and um, how it came together. Well, not just the United States, but uh, for the most part, how it became uh, a country. Um, if you would like us to intertwine that with some of the things that are going on, and what is particularly on my mind is the um, Derek Chauvin case. We're not going to talk about it at length, but in this particular instance where we have eight minutes or so left before the hour hits, we could talk about it for two or three minutes, just bounce a couple ideas off of each other. I know Rob is uh, has an extremely dense plate um, dealing with family work and everything. But if you want us to talk about how that certain things play into what's going on with today's actions for a very small amount of time, we could do that as well. Because I had some thoughts about what's going on with the Derek Chauvin case, but we will leave that to, up to the listeners if they want to. So hear it. So, right. I, that could also uh, be another Patreon perk. Um, um interested, so yeah to hear our opinions um personally about uh, how we feel the case is going which way it's leaning um will the defendant get off if he does what are we burning down first all those different things we could talk about on patreon <laughs> and uh once again at joshua patrick for facebook and instagram and at joshua catlow on Twitter, I will try to see if I can just make them all um, united so it makes it easier to find me. But also don't forget to hit us up at uh, revolutionaryroulette at gmail.com. Rob, take us home. Um, you pretty much, I think you covered it all. So uh, we've been Revolutionary Roulette. I'm Rob, that's Josh, and uh, we'll be back next week to finish up Chapter 3, possibly uh, wrap up uh, chapter four as well. Thanks guys. Oh.